listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So today's uh, sermon is uh, the last in our series, our Easter series, which we titled A Moral Christ Like God. And today, the sermon is titled, Darwin, Freud, Marx, and Nietzsche Walk into a Church. So you, you got to be excited about that one, right? So this past Thursday was the Feast of Ascension. It was the day in the church calendar where we celebrate the ascension of our Lord to his uh, heavenly place as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is on the throne, and from there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. It's not particularly a popular uh, holiday on the church calendar, the, uh, the Day of Ascension and Ascension Sunday. Like, I've been in church all my life, like all of my life. I was born at a church. Well, maybe not. I was born in a hospital. But all my life I've been to church. I mean, before, I mean, I have memories, and then I have memories of my, my family, my parents especially, kind of telling me things. Like, they couldn't find me. Um, at church one Sunday, and they found me. I was at the altar, like a toddler. I'd taken the pacifier out of my mouth and laid it on the altar, and I was just down there, you know, mumbling. Um, my, uh, I've, I think I've told you this before, but my, at that church, everyone called each other brother and sister, you know, brothers so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And so my parents called the pastor, his name was Dole Sandfield, my parents called him Brother Stanfield. And I knew, I was about, you know, three or four, that my mom and dad had brothers, you know, Garland and Harold and uh, Don and Randall. And I called them uncle. So I was a smart kid. And I could put all the, the things together. And so I called Dole Stanfield, the pastor, Uncle Stanfield. Because dad kept calling him Brother Stanfield. And I'm like, oh, I understand. Uncle Stanfield. They, they liked it so much that they encouraged it. And I, I, called, him, I called him Uncle Stanfield. Um, I guess I still call him Uncle Stanfield. I mean, he's passed away, but he's still to me Uncle Stanfield. So I've been in church all my life, but I don't know if I've ever heard hardly any sermons on the Ascension. And I can't think of hardly any songs about the Ascension. And so... What is, this, what is it about? So it's in the Creed. It's in the Apostles' Creed. You know, it's in three sections, the Apostles' Creed is, and that middle section is about Jesus. And it says this, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven, ding, 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 <laughs> and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. So the ascension is really about two things. It's not just about Jesus kind of floating up into the air. That would be a pretty bizarre story anyway, like trying to f follow a balloon that the kid let go. Oh, I still see it. <laughs> I don't think that was what was going on. Thanks for laughing, Josh. That was supposed to be funny. I don't think that's the point. The point is, is that we had experienced Jesus near and dear 
right? He was with, he was with the disciples. And now he was going to kind of transform, transfigure into another reality. And in some ways, that reality was going to make Jesus absent. And we would have to pray for Jesus' return, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? We want Jesus to return. But in another way, by Jesus kind of transcending and by Jesus ascending and being enthroned, not only would he just be with a few, like any given person might be able to be with them, but he would be able to be with us all, right, through his spirit. And so Jesus becomes, in a kind of, uh, kind of an ironic way, closer to us in the physical absence by the spiritual presence that he's with us. So it's confessed in the creed, and believe it or not, it's a pretty popular topic in the New Testament. Like, the New Testament authors talk about the ascension and the enthronement of Jesus quite a bit. Um, let's, let's just run down some of these uh, passages that do speak about it. We'll start with the Apostle Paul. He loved the ascension. He, he wrote about it over and over and over. This one comes from Romans chapter 8. He says, It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, was, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or pandemic? I threw that one in there. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus is active. Jesus is interceding for us. The author of Hebrews would say that Jesus is our high priest. It's not like Jesus just came and he lived and he, he did his miracles, you know, healing the sick and, and delivering the captive and calming the storms and feeding the hungry. But Jesus is even now active. In Acts, it says that when Peter is, is being stoned, he's going to be executed. He looks up and he has a vision of Jesus and I know the creed says that he's sitting at the right hand of Father. But Stephen says, I saw him standing there, right? That he's there. He's attentive. He cares for us. He intercedes for us. Paul will say this uh, later in Ephesians. He writes this. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly paces, far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So what we see here is that the ascension is an enthronement, that Jesus is, is in charge, like that Jesus is not just who he said he was, but he seems to be even more, right? That this, this revelation continues to open and we see that he's not just the king of Israel, right? He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's on the throne. Paul will later say this to the Colossians. He says, and he's talking here about baptism. 
So what happens in our baptism? He's connecting our baptism to the ascension and enthronement. He says this, So if you have been raised with Christ, right, meaning you've been baptized and now you've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And, and let me just kind of uh, take that moment to say, it's been a long time, you know, with COVID and we were quarantined for a long time. And then we, when we did get back together, we were kind of distanced and a, a lot of us still are distanced. And um, again, welcome to those of you who are on the live stream. We're so happy that you are with us. But one of the things we haven't done in more than a year now is baptize someone. And I've been asked a few times, hey, when do you think we might get to baptize someone? Like a couple of people said, I want to be baptized. And trust me, I want you to be baptized. <laughs> and we are going to do that soon, right? That is something that we still believe in and we are going to practice and we'll practice it soon. Uh, one last, one last um, scripture from Paul, and it's one that we cite a lot. It's this kind of Christological hymn out of Philippians that talks about Jesus and how Jesus poured himself out um, into kind of humanity, right? Making God, the divine, available to us. And now this is God's response to Jesus being poured out. Paul writes this, God also highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I think that probably needs to be underscored in this particular series as we talk about more Christ-like God that Jesus is not the kind of ruler that kind of forces someone to bend their knee or I'm going to chop off your head. He's more like the one who comes and loves and gives and sacrifices and engenders out of us that kind of devotion. Right? We don't want to make Jesus into some medieval king out of Europe. Peter references the ascension as well. In 1 Peter, this passage is where we get both of those lines out of the creed that he descended into hell and the third day arose again and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That both the descension into hell and the ascension into heaven uh, are found in this passage from Peter. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God. I'm going to just read that first sentence again. Man, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Like, what is the gospel in one sentence? Here it is in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God. I should have just read that and sat down. We could have all prayed. He was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God wanted or when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were saved through water 
And baptism, isn't it interesting how Peter connects the ascension and enthronement to baptism the same way that Paul does? In baptism, which this prefigured now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, right? This isn't just personal hygiene, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers made subject to him. So the ascension is connected here as well to the descension, which we talked about a few weeks ago. That Holy Saturday, that the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that even then Christ was active, that he invades the the death and Hades. He overcomes the gates of hell. Or as the book of Revelation would say, he is the firstborn of the dead with the keys to death and hell. Right? I love that. We, we mentioned that, and it, it bears maybe just a little repeating. You should read it sometime. But that Gospel of Nicodemus, right? It's fictional from the early church. But man, is it fun, Right? Or Beelzebub's fussing at Satan, saying, what did you do? You brought all these people down here, like John the Baptist. Don't you know John the Baptist is the herald of the Christ? So if he's with us, don't you know who's coming next? The Lord of glory. And Satan's like, well, I don't know. Who is the Lord of glory? Because you know who the Lord of glory is. He's going to come and he's going to bust this place up too. Which is exactly, again, what we confess in the creed. It's what we believe. That his, his death, his, his life, his sacrifice, the resurrection, changes all things. And that's what we believe in. So now he's ascended to the throne. Luke, this will be our, our last couple of passages. Luke loves the ascension. Like, you know, Luke's responsible for two of the documents in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and also Acts of the Apostles. Kind of one big story in two volumes. Um, like I, I love, you know, movies and television. I probably watch more television than I should. I'm not sure. But I watch a lot of it. And I love these continuing series. And anytime you, you know, you have, an, um, whether it's a television show or even sometimes a, a sequel in a, in a movie, you'll, you'll get the preview and it will always kind of recap what happened like in the previous episode, <laughs> you know, our protagonist did this or that. That's exactly the way that, that Acts of the Apostles opens. He's like, in my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about Jesus Christ and how the Spirit empowered him. Da, 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 da. But now I'm going to write to you about what the same Spirit, right? Well, this is kind of quoting Paul, but... It's what Luke's saying. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is active in you as well. And now it's what the spirit is doing in the church. But the last scene of the Gospel of Luke is an ascension scene. And the first scene in the book of Acts is the ascension scene. So if you weren't paying attention, it might have looked like Jesus actually ascended twice. <laughs> but that didn't happen. He didn't like go up and come back down and go up and come back down. It's just the same story. It's just like previously you saw this and then that's how it starts. This is what you see. So this is the last couple of verses in the Gospel of Luke. It says this. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Like, that's the last verses of the Gospel of Luke. They were continually in the temple blessing God, having just, uh, just witnessed the ascension. Now, let's turn to uh, the book of Acts and we'll see. This is how he starts the second story or the second half of his story. So then, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two people in white robes stood by them. They said, Galileans, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So given all that the ascension is, all the times that the ascension is mentioned in the New Testament, as well as the common confession that we find in the Apostles' Creed, and, you know, there are a lot of ascension stories actually in Scripture. There's a, it seems like Enoch ascends and Moses ascends and Elijah ascends. You know that one, right? Swing low, sweet chariot, right? And then who else ascends? Um, Jesus, of course, ascends. You know, even in the Koran, it says that Jesus ascends and sits on the throne and will come back and judge the world. Which I think that's pretty fascinating. I mean, I'm not a Muslim, and, well, you already knew that. <laughs> and, and the Koran doesn't say that Jesus was crucified and doesn't say that Jesus was resurrected. Like, they don't believe that. But it is interesting to me that even in that book, in that religion, there's a reference to Jesus ascending to heaven and sitting on the throne and returning as the judge of the world. It's a story that has gotten around, <laughs> And it's a story, I think, that is important to us. So why do we hear so little about it? I think part of the reason is it's hard to make sense of. Again, it, it sounds a bit ridiculous. It's like, you know, somebody floating up into the sky and how long can you see him? And did he just get smaller and smaller? Like, metaphysically, it doesn't mean that Jesus, like, just floated up. Like, it's not... We don't believe in a, in a three-tiered cosmology that hell is down and heaven is up, right? That's kind of the ancient world. And earth is in the middle, middle earth, you Tolkienites, right? That's where that comes from. Do you like that? Yeah. So we don't believe in a three-tiered universe. You know, one of the Russian cosmonauts, uh, the first one actually, the first person who was kind of in outer space when he got there, he looked around and said, we were right, there is no God. Well, what did he think he was going to see there if there was a God? A big face with a big beard and a finger reaching out to touch him, right? Heaven's not some geographical location elsewhere, and we've just expanded it now. Like it's not, heaven's not just up, it's up, up, and away. Like it's, you go through some wormhole or some black hole, or you just travel somewhere in the universe, 
Heaven is the spiritual reality of that, all things that God has created. So God's created everything. Everything spiritual and everything physical. And all the things spiritual and all the things physical overlap and interlock. And we call that creation. And so, so God is near to us. The spiritual reality is not somewhere far, far away. It's actually really close. And this is what the prophets and the mystics see in their revelations and their visions. They realize how close God is. The veil that separates the physical from the spiritual grows thin or is pulled back. And they have, they have eyes to see or they have an experience of something. So that, that's how close God is. And so, in some ways, as we said before, there's this sense of absence, and we want God to come and make things right. But at the same time, there's a sense of presence, that God is with us everywhere, nearer to ourselves than we are to ourselves. The absent in the sense that he is coming again, while at the same time, present. So, a few things we can learn from all of these texts that we've looked at today. Again, Jesus is active. Paul tells us this, that he's interceding for us. He's been enthroned, and so therefore he's above every power. He is the head of the church. We are to seek to be like him. We confess. We bow our knee. And I think the early church, for the most part, really believed in the ascension and enthronement of Jesus. Like, sometimes I hear people talk about the early church and they'll say things like, they expected Jesus to come back before they died, and then he didn't, and then they all got anxious, and now this anxiety kind of plagues the world. And if I have to be honest, if I'm honest with you, I experienced some of that growing up too. I was always told that Jesus was going to come back in any moment. Like, I never thought I would get out of high school. Not because I wouldn't graduate, I was a good student, but I, I thought that Jesus would come back. I never thought I'd get married. I never thought I'd have kids, right? I certainly never thought I'd be this old, <laughs> right? I was kind of told it was going to happen. And then and when it hasn't happened, there's like, well, what's going on? Well, imagine how many generations do we have to go through kind of telling people that Jesus is coming back and Jesus is coming back and it can come back any moment. And, and I think we've kind of missed the point. We're a little bit like those Christians in Thessalonica that were psyched out a bit from it and were saying, Paul, did we miss it? And Paul's like, no, calm down. <laughs> but as opposed to being like the Thessalonians who need Paul to correct them, why don't we be like the Christians in every other book in the New Testament who doesn't seem to be so stressed out about it? That is, if you take the ascension and enthronement seriously, if you really believe that Jesus was resurrected, that he ascended into heaven, and that he's sitting on the throne, then let's live like that. Let's live like our Lord is the king of the universe. Let's get on with the work of the kingdom of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Let's, let's be the agents of mercy and grace and forgiveness and, 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 and justice in the world because we believe that he's on the throne. And we do believe that he will return. But whether he returns today or whether he returns in a thousand years from now, 
I still live today like he's on the throne. So what does all this have to do with the title of the sermon, right? About Darwin and Marx and, and Freud and Nietzsche. Well, this is what I think. I think that science and psychology and economics and philosophy, they're not our enemies. God so loved the world. He didn't save us from the world. He has saved us for the world. And all these things are just avenues to God's truth. And I think sometimes we reject things that we probably should hold on to. And we hold on to some things that we should reject. Like Paul tells Timothy, test all things and hold fast to the good. But we don't like, we don't like tests. We don't always test things. And sometimes we end up holding on to things that aren't so good. We actually do have a lot to learn from these people. That is, we can be people of faith and people of science and psychology and economics and philosophy. So Darwin, for example, I don't know if you've read uh, The Origin of Species, but Darwin is a pretty fantastic scientist. His powers of observation are remarkable. And generally, we can under the, understand the idea of the survival of the fittest and how that kind of works in the animal kingdom, right? You've watched enough nature shows, right? The boys of the herd fight it out, and then one wins, and he's the one who gets to, um, you know, be with um, the, the girls in the herd. And because he's stronger and more aggressive, because he's full of ambition, I guess, right, that it's his DNA that gets passed down, and it's the weaker DNA of the, of, the, of the chumps that lost that then dies out, right? That makes sense to you. That's just a pretty good observation. So the history of things and how they work is not the part that we need to reject. Like, you can believe in dinosaurs and believe in Jesus, right? Dinosaurs aren't bad. That's the part you can hold on to. It's the way in which we've applied survival of the fittest to just life in general. Like we look at somebody who's down and out and we're saying, well, they didn't make it. Sorry. Red and tooth and claw, we're all out here on our own. That's the part of Darwin that you should reject. That's not the way of Jesus. You should seek to care for those in need. And it's, that, and it's in that way that we are different than the observation that he made. Not in this general kind of scientific observation. And we can say the same thing about Freud. I mean, what would, what would we, where would we be without folks like Freud and Jung and, and Skinner and Pavlov and others, right? Like, psychoanalysis is a powerful tool to be used. And if your mental health is in need, you should treat your mental health the same way you treat your physical health. You should seek expert advice. Uh, not, not January of 2020, but January of 2019, you might remember that we were in a series that was called Know and Be Known, and we focused in on mental health. In fact, uh, one Sunday night, we had a workshop. We brought in a friend of mine, a psychologist, Dr. Cliff Herndon, and, and he talked about, about how um, mental health and the Christian life can go together. If if you, if you go to a marriage family therapist or if you go to a licensed mental health counselor, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Let's remove that stigma aside and say, hey, it's, it's good to have a therapist. 
So let's hold on to that bit. I think that's true and that's good. Now Freud's fixation on sex, maybe that's a part that we could let go about, but interesting enough, I think that's the part of the church that we actually were Freudian. Like we talked about sex all the time when I was a kid. Like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I thought those were the three things that we believed in. <laughs> or practiced, or weren't supposed to practice. Like we just talked about sex all the time. We, we, we said we didn't like psychology, but we proved Freud right by the way we fixated on sex. Listen. Calm down a minute. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing in their bedroom. And don't, don't fret the fact that seeing a therapist might be a good thing. Test all things and hold fast to the good. And what about Marx? Now, let me tell you, his name's been in the news a lot lately. We don't like that guy. Jewish economist from Europe. Mm. Wants to say it's all about money. Listen, interesting thing about Marx. One of the things he said, he wasn't, he didn't believe in Jesus, right? He wasn't a Christian. But he did say this. He said if the Christian church had maintained its economic commitment to the poor, that's, that it talked about in the book of Acts, there would have been no need for him to write his theory. Which I, I just think that's fascinating. And I find it to be a bit of an indictment against the church. So I'm not a Marxist either. So those are the two things you've learned about me today, right? I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Marxist. <laughs> but have you ever felt like our culture and even our Christian culture focuses on money like a lot? Like it's, you know, get what you can. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. You know, we're constantly looking to go on nicer vacations, to drive nicer cars, to wear nicer clothes. And look, look I'm, I'm preaching at myself here. I should turn around and just point at myself. I, I do this too. I'm a consumerist. I like stuff. But Marx was right about this. That money drives people. I mean, at that, that point is simply this. You know, the, the root of all evil is the love of money. And so the same way it might be good for us maybe not to focus on sex all the time. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be focusing on money all the time. And maybe we should take that advice seriously. And then there's Nietzsche. I don't know if you know him as well as you know the others, Darwin, Freud, and Marx, but Nietzsche was a philosopher. He said, you know, God is dead. Um, <laughs> at the Virginia Tech campus years ago, there was this statue on one side that said, God is dead, Nietzsche. And on the other side, it said, Nietzsche is dead, God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Nietzsche says this. He said, we will evolve kind of past our superstition and we'll let religion go. And then we'll be controlled by kind of the will to power. Right? So the strong person, the person that's got that can kind of warp reality into their view, right? Make every, everybody else believe what they believe. Like that person will have the strength and the resources by, by their power to kind of save us. You know, he was German, so he used the, the German term Ubermensch. And we have, we're not quite sure how to translate it, but kind of like a Superman, right? 
the will to power. And once again, man, I, I, think, I think, although, you know, we're saying, oh, no, I'm not Nietzschean. I don't believe God is dead. But then we are kind of Nietzschean, right? We look to others to save us. We think if we vote a particular way that all of our problems are going to be solved. We put our trust and hope in, in people of power. So, again, test all things and hold fast to the good. Listen, our God, right, is on the throne. Our God revealed to us who God was in the person of Jesus Christ and then revealed more about who God is through Jesus dying on a cross and then revealed even more by not responding to that with vengeance to kind of kill those who killed Jesus, but to forgive those who killed Jesus and responded to the death of Christ not with destruction and anger, but with resurrection and hope. This Easter season, I want you to know that our God is like Christ, and I want you to know that we too are to be Christ-like. It's not just that we worship a more Christ-like God, it's that we are to be a more Christ-like church. That Christ is the revelation of who God is, but he's also the revelation of who we are to be. The text that Gretchen read to us earlier out of 1 John, it's like, look, you can believe all of these witnesses. All these people who witness to truth. And that's part of what I want to say. You can believe witnesses who witness to truth. That all truth is God's truth and all goodness is God's goodness and all beauty is God's beauty. But the witness that you really need to believe is the witness of God. And God bears witness to Jesus. And so now we, my friends, we are to be Christ-like. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.